Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yes, that's billion with a B. Okay, no one's even said. <laughs> Wait a minute. What was that one about? It was the Billions, budget. That was her budget speech? Yeah, yeah. Her first budget speech. <laughs> yeah. That's billions with a B. Chicago is everywhere. Like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Whoa. <laughs> like, don't get confused and think it's an M. How's it going, everybody? Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, December 7th, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. Yes. The Chicago Federation of Labor. Yes. The Chicago Teachers Union. Yes. And of course, Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, December 7th, and pre-recorded from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the long-awaited return of the 35th Ward Alderman himself, the one, the only, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Now your host, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this What If Jesse Was Right Tuesday. And here's why. What if Jesse were right? I I, I know we're not going to be discussing this uh, in greater detail in today's show. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa uh, from the 35th Ward will be joining us. And we're going to take the deep dive on the ward map. So real political stuff coming. We've been talking about Justice Smollett for so long on this show. We've been talking about Justice Smollett for so long in this city. 2019 was when the attack occurred, and I have attack in air quotes. The attack, of course, in that very cold, bitter January day at 2 in the morning when Justice Smollett was walking home from a Subway sandwich shop with a Subway sandwich in his hand. From the moment it happened, a certain Dr. D., said, absolutely no way is this the truth. Absolutely no way. There's no way Jesse Smollett's going out at 2 in the morning in a freezing cold night to go to Subway. No way. I kind of like, yeah, I think you're right. I see what you're doing here. What's that? I see what you're doing here. It's what if Jesse was right Tuesday, and now I'm the guy that says (laughs) that I see what this is. So anyway, it was just. I always throw uh, Dr. D, which, by the way, is short for uh, DeMarvelous, uh, (laughs) about this um, because he was the first person that we had like an I had an extended Justice Smollett conversation with. And, of course, my universe of people that I talked to just about Justice Smollett with expanded greatly over the next few weeks and months and, and years Ramana Hussein, Andy Grimm, Maya Dukmasova. Oh, my goodness. Candace Castillo, Kim Fox herself. Things must have been really desperate for Kim Fox. She came on our show, remember, T? To defend herself while she was running for re-election. So there's all the issues about, you know, how Kim Fox handled it. Uh, uh, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox, ladies and gentlemen, for folks who are not living in this Chicago area and just stumbled upon this podcast. Like, where is this weird guy talking from? City of Chicago, County of Cook, State of Illinois, in the middle of this country. Kim Fox is the Cook County State's Attorney. She's the chief prosecutor elected by the voters, a Democrat. And as such, she's assembled a MAGA of everything that's wrong with liberals and lefties. Too lenient. That's why crime's going up. She was a convenient 
political punching bag. And everybody was wailing away on her because she effectively dropped the charges. Her office dropped the charges against Justice Smollett. And they did it in a very bizarre sort of sub Terranian way. Nobody knew what was going on. I remember Andy Grimm came on the show. We're going to bring him back for some time to ASA, criminal courts reporter, about how it was strange how she didn't announce she was dropping the charges. All of a sudden, it was just dropped, which put more attention on dropping the charges. Anyway, so one thing that's been consistent since uh, January of 2019, when just Justice Millett, uh, the story emerged, is that, of course, that in quotes, he made it up. Of course, it was a fake attack. I think a lot of people took the lead from uh, the great Dave Chappelle, who did a comic bit about uh, Jesse Smollett. Remember that one? Juicy Smollett, the French actor. Everybody's laughing. And I, I went along with it. I was like, oh, yeah, of course it's made up. I'm, I'm not just throwing uh, Dr. DeMarvelous under the, the bus here. I, too, thought it was made up. Yeah, since, like, Friday. <laughs> Wait, which part is... Just since Friday, I, you thought it was made up so like a day ago, two days ago. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was made up uh, way back when in uh, uh, 2019. You convinced me. We we're sitting in that hot dog place. It was a compelling case you raised. Well, that's you what I'm it. saying. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I know. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, well, finally, he gets on the stand. And I, I okay, I must confess, I didn't watch it. I didn't hear it. I wasn't in the courtroom. I. I'm relying on my beloved Bright One Home Delivered Every Day uh, for its compelling uh, coverage of the case. Andy Grimm, good job. And uh, the Chicago Tribune backs it up. Uh, good reporting by uh, Megan. Uh, Megan, I got to get to make sure I get the name right. Capro and J- Jason Meisner. So good job by everybody involved. That's how I get my news. And he's on the stand. And Dan Webb, the special prosecutor, guy's been around forever, is grilling him. Carlos Ramirez Rosa has joined us. Carlos Ramirez hey, Rosa how's it has going? Uh, and uh, we're going to bring him on talk war map. But let me just finish this, uh, Carlos, uh, my thoughts on Jesse Smollett. And Dan Webb is grilling him, absolutely grilling him. And Carlos would not want to be, nobody would want to be the subject of a grilling by Dan Webb. And Jesse Smollett, to his, I got to give him credit, folks. The guy held up rather well. And suddenly I'm starting to wonder. Was I wrong to doubt him? Was I just joining what the mob, not the literal like mobsters mob, but like like a metaphorical mob? Carlos is uh, smiling at me as I talk. But Carlos, I know we're not going to talk Jesse. Uh, we're going to talk Ward Map and politics in general. But I've just opened up the show by saying there's a part of me. You know what you're supposed to say, uh, innocent until proven otherwise, correct? Isn't that sort of like the standard uh, assumption in our criminal justice system? That's and, right, yeah. The U.S. And, Constitution. Yes. And everybody went the other way with Jesse Smollett. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And then they, you know, vilified Kim Fox. That became the political issue. What if he's actually been telling the truth all this time that he was attacked? In this case, it was by these two uh, friends of his, former friends of his, uh, the Nigerian brothers. I don't know. Uh, just a possibility I throw out there. We may all owe Jesse Smollett an apology one day. Just throwing it out there, ladies and gentlemen. What if he didn't make it up? All right. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, 35th Ward Alderman, uh, the Dean of the Democratic Socialists and the Chicago City Council. I always like calling you the Dean of the Democratic Socialists because you're so <laughs> young and such a joke. Because <laughs> I guess there's like it's relatively recent uh, that there have been Democratic uh, Socialists in the Chicago City Council, and you were there first. That's and, right. Um, good Not in a hundred years. Say that again. Not in a hundred years. Yeah, there were socialists 100 years ago, but we took a 100-year hiatus. <laughs> well, you've come back stronger, <laughs> six of you now. Although if the Mel family has anything to do with it in the coming election, it'll definitely be only be five as they're going after mm-hmm. my good friend Rosanna. Um, all right, Carlos. Uh, been looking forward to this conversation with you for a long time. The top of the list is the ward map. It's a very confusing spectacle that people are trying to make sense of. Uh, I've lived through... Four of these things, I wonder, or maybe five of these things. I'm losing track. So I'm a little more accustomed to what the Chicago City Council does every 10 years uh, when they redivide the ward map. This, I believe, is your first it uh, is. as an alderman. You may be the yes, dean my of the first rodeo. Socialist. 
It's your first radio. So why don't you start at the very top and explain uh, what is going on? Why are you doing this? And then we'll just take it from there. Yeah, well, you know, by law, every 10 years, uh, the city of Chicago must redistrict um, following a census. Uh, the 2020 census, of course, was delayed a little bit. Uh, we finally got the results uh, a little bit uh, ago, uh, some months ago. And to see, well, what's the population, right? The U.S. Constitution has an equal protection clause. Uh, there's the Voting Rights Act. And so the city of Chicago is tasked with drawing a map that follows the U.S. Census data, that uh, follows the Constitution, follows the Voting Rights Act. You know, one man, one vote, one woman, one vote. Downtown right now, the 42nd Ward has about enough population for two wards, right? So there's been huge growth in the past 10 years in residential units downtown. So definitely, you know, the downtown ward has to lose population, has to be absorbed by other areas. On the south side, we've seen a huge drop in population. And then we've also seen quite a bit of demographic shifts. Um, so uh, now in the city of Chicago, uh, the white population uh, is the largest group, followed by Latinos and then followed by African-Americans. Uh, and Asian Americans now have sufficient population living next to each other uh, in and around Chinatown for one ward. So if you follow the U.S. Census data, if you follow the Voting Rights Act, the map should really draw itself. Um, of course, we also are tasked with drawing districts that are contiguous and compact that keep communities together. But the problem is, is that it turns out that a lot of incumbents don't like following the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> Um, and rather than focusing on the data, rather than focusing on the law, uh, they focus on things like, how do I get certain plum developments in my ward? Uh, how do I, uh, you know, ensure that this critic of mine or this uh, incumbent uh, challenger, this challenger that wants to run against me is out of my ward? Um, and the Rules Committee, without any discussion, uh, and the Rules Committee is the, is the committee that deals with the redistricting in the city of Chicago, brought in Mike Casper, who has been the longtime lobbyist and attorney for former Speaker Mike Madigan. And I think he thought that it was 2010. I think that he thought that Mike Madigan was still Speaker, that Burke was still at the top of the roost in city council. And he really tried to run a process uh, that disenfranchises not only Latino communities, but black communities as well, and helps certain uh, connected incumbents. Um, so, of course, this is my first redistricting process. No one ever told me what to expect. Um, but I'm thinking that we're going to follow the U.S. Census data. We're going to follow the Voting Rights Act. And, yeah, you know, there's going to be some funny business because there's always some funny business in the Chicago City Council. But that push come to shove, we'd be able to come to a map that has 41 votes. Now, 41 votes is extremely important because under state law, if 41 aldermen do not approve of the map, 10 aldermen can come together and submit their own map. And if 10 aldermen come together and submit their own map, and there are now two competing maps or more, so in theory, you need 10 aldermen to submit a map. So in theory, you could have up to five maps, right? You could have five groups of 10 aldermen. Um, now, realistically, that's very difficult because to draw a map, you need a demographer, uh, you need to sit down and put some work to it. Um, but anyway, you know, we really, I really thought that we would be able to reach 41 Unfortunately, at this juncture, we're at an impasse. Um, there are two competing maps, the Rules Committee map drafted behind closed doors by Mike Casper. And then there's the Chicago Coalition map uh, drafted uh, by a group of aldermen from different parts of the city uh, who released our map. We released our map. We said months ago in October, we said, here's our map following the U.S. Census data, following the Voting Rights Act. We think that we can arrive at this map for the city of Chicago. This is our opening uh, you know, position. It's not a take it or leave it proposition. It's to start a conversation. And consistently what we were told by the other side, by the, by the rules committee was, uh, no, we're gonna ignore that. You need to get into the map room and map with Mike Casper. And then the moment that I would go into the map room to map with Mike Casper, he would basically tell me, here's your ward map, take it or leave it. And I'd say, well, this is not a negotiation. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's just, um, it, it's been a really crazy ride. I think a lot of kind of the behind the doors, corrupt stuff that's been happening gets lost the way the media reports this, right? Which says, oh, it's the blacks versus the Latinos, right? It's the African-American community versus the Latino community. Um, no, I, I think that any objective analysis of the rules committee map 
finds that it disenfranchises both the black and the Latino community. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it, it's not a map that the people of the city of Chicago deserve. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's complicated, but that's, that's pretty much the, you know, the, the review or the summary of what's happened thus far. All right. And, uh, before I get into specifics, cause you gave me a lot to uh, follow up on a very good job, uh, setting the stage by the way. So before I get to the specifics, uh, what's next? I mean, there's been so many conflicting, uh, predictions or so many conflicting deadlines that I've found reading the daily newspaper. I know, I know I speak for lots of people in the city of Chicago are baffled because we heard, Oh, there's this drop that dead deadline, December 1st. If you don't get 41, it's going to go to referendum. Wait a minute. Hold it. (laughs) That drop that deadline was not really a drop that deadline. Poor reporters having to keep track of this stuff, man. Uh, so where are we at right now, literally, in the process? Yeah, I think one way to look at the December 1st is not as a drop dead deadline. It was uh, the date at which a door could be opened to a referendum, right? So if the city council had passed the map November 30th with 41 votes, if the city council had passed the map at 11.59 p.m. on December 1st with 41 votes, then that would have totally precluded the opportunity for a referendum. However, because the city council rules committee map did not reach the 41 vote threshold, and we get conflicting numbers. Sometimes we're told that it has 34 sponsors. Sometimes we're told that it has uh, 37, 38, 39 sponsors. Um, I think it's pretty clear at this point that, you know, they're short of even 34 votes, which would be a veto proof majority. But because the rules committee did not meet that deadline, then at December 2nd at 12 a.m., it became possible at that point for aldermen to file for referendum. And that's exactly what a group of 15 aldermen, myself included, um, a group of white, uh, black, Latino aldermen did. We filed the Chicago coalition map. Um, and, And really it's a map where we said, look, we want a transparent process. We released our map in October. We asked the public for feedback. We received feedback. We amended our map. Uh, to unite some communities that objected to the way in which they had been divided in our map, uh, to really make sure that we were uh, following the U.S. Census data and the Voting Rights Act. Um, Ultimately, there's still time for a compromise. So if 41 aldermen come together between now and May of next year and pass a map with 41 votes, then the referendum is off. But as of right now, without a compromise that has 41 votes, the voters will decide between the Chicago coalition map, uh, the map that I'm supporting, and then the rules committee map uh, drawn behind closed doors by Mike Casper. And uh, so what was that, that date in May? You have till May. I think it's about 40 days before the June um, uh, primary. Got it. So, um, all right. Uh, so what's the matter with the referendum? Uh, I'll play devil's advocate with you. I I always like more elections than less elections because that's my nerdiness. Uh, but it's like, oh, wow, I get to vote on the ward map. And I actually remember uh, Carlos back in the 90s voting on what I wasn't really following that close. I can't remember what the issue was, but I do remember that it was brought before the public. Uh, it was during the early days of uh, Richie Daly's reign. So. You know, what's the matter with the referendum? Why not put it to the people of the, the voters of the city of Chicago? You know, I'm a, I'm a democratic socialist. And the first word in that, uh, you know, is democratic. Uh, I do believe that democracy and asking the voters what they want to see is a good thing. Um, I think it's the basis of any just society. But, um, you know, what I've heard in terms of criticisms of a referendum is that it will be costly. You know, uh, yes, there's already a primary scheduled for June. Um, but that, you know, adding the additional, uh, you know, pieces of paper to discuss uh, the referendum will have a cost. Um, of course, you know, then you have to run a active campaign to get the word out in support of your map. Uh, and that can be a little bit confusing. Um, so, for example, um, I'm told that the map will appear on the ballot with the list of sponsors, um, which, of course, I'm fine with that because the Rules Committee map will have indicted aldermen. 
uh, <laughs> versus a diverse coalition of, of aldermen, including many uh, progressive and leftist aldermen. Um, so actually, the, the Rules Committee uh, had a uh, press conference today, and you know there was uh, Carrie Austin. And to your point, she's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I think it says uh, a lot about kind of you know that map and that process and, and where it came from and where it's headed. Um, so so. I guess that's the challenge is, you know, you have to then talk to people to say, this is the map that you want to vote for as opposed to that one. And that can be a little bit uh, confusing. Uh, So the census is that it will cost a lot of money, that it will take a lot of resources to educate the public on this issue to actually be able to push forward a good map. I think that, you know, I and others that are part of the Chicago coalition map have been consistent from day one. We would like to be able to see a compromise, right? We would like to be able to see, a map that moves forward. But again, it has to be a map and a compromise that's based on certain principles. Are we following the U.S. Census data? Are we following the Voting Rights Act? Uh, It can't be a map that disenfranchises or slices and dices communities. If we're able to come to that compromise, then yeah, I would be proud to be part of a group of 41 aldermen that passes that map that does right by the people of the city of Chicago. Uh, But if we can't reach that compromise, then if need be, Uh, you know, we will go to a referendum and that paperwork has been filed. So as of right now, we are on the path to a referendum. Uh, Actually, believe it or not, after hearing your explanation of things, I want a referendum more than ever. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) I didn't realize the aldermen's names would be on the uh, anything that would educate the people. This this is me speaking, not Carlos. Okay, because I'm about to denigrate the voters in Chicago. Anything that would educate the apathetic masses and just like wake them from their general stupor, uh, which enables the powers that be in the city to continue to pillage the city. I welcome. So it, it would. I do believe what you said. Uh, I'm going to take it one step further. That's shorthand. And one thing of Chicago voters know is that Ed Burke represents something. Okay. Like if you could do like a, a test, you, you could put Chicago voters in a room. Follow me, follow me in this, Carlos, and go say, Ed Burke, what does he represent you? Like we guys call that a focus group thing. Ed Burke, what does he represent? Okay. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, you've gained a, a name and a reputation for yourself. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, what does he represent? And you put those two separate names on maps. And I do believe it's it's almost like a referendum on where Chicago should go. Should we follow the path of Ed Burke or should we follow the path of Carlos Ramirez Rosa? Now, some people hear me say, that, oh, Ben, you're naive to believe in democracy and the voters. But I actually <laughs> do believe, I actually do, do believe Chicago voters could figure that out and make a determination about where and most, even if they don't know the specifics of the map, Carlos, how it affects Logan Square, whether Scotty Wagaspak gets, uh, you know, Lincoln Yards or with Brian Hopkins, we'll get all these issues, you know, what it does to Raylo's Ward, this, that, and the other thing. Even if they don't know all those kinds of uh, nitty gritty specifics, they do have a general sense. Ed Burke, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, you got to admit, uh, well, what do you think? Do you think I have a good point or do you vehemently disagree? I, I, I think you, you are onto something. I, I think that there's a reason why, you know, we were being threatened. And when I say we, I mean myself and other aldermen, because basically they were asking me to sign off on a map that disenfranchises the Latino community, that disenfranchises the black community, and that disenfranchises the communities that I was elected to represent. Uh, you know, the map that I and, and my neighbors propose puts Logan Square into two wards. Um, So the eastern part of Logan Square would be in the first ward. Uh, The western part of Logan Square would be in the 35th ward. Uh, In conversation with Logan Square leaders, people were very comfortable with that. People were happy to see that. The map that the Rules Committee proposed slices and dices Logan Square into six wards. (laughs) The 36th ward stretches from western to Harlem. Tell me, what do the people of Belmont Cragen, what do the people of Montclair? It, it's just, it's it's madness. It's absolute madness. Um, and now when people get to see this map, so, so the Rules Committee was really trying to hide the map, right? They didn't want to release the map publicly because they knew that what's happening now with the public just totally ripping their map to shreds, this one group of activists, uh, uh, independent political organization on the northwest side of Chicago called United Northwest Side, they did an analysis of the map. And they found that the Rules Committee map that no less than 11 announced challengers are mapped out of their ward by the Rules Committee map. And that same, you know, 
uh, gerrymandering is not present in the Chicago coalition map. Why? Because the Chicago coalition map put a premium on contiguous and compact districts. So if you look at the 36th ward uh, in the, uh, you know, Chicago coalition map, it's mostly based around, you know, neighborhoods that are on the far northwest side, right? Montclair, Belmont Cragen. Uh, then you can look at the 35th Ward. It's mostly based around uh, communities uh, that are on the northwest side, but close together. Avondale, Logan Square. Um, the map that I was being told to sign off on, and people were like, just sign off on it. Just sign off on it. Be part of 41. I'm like, I'm not going to lend my name to this. If I have to be one of nine no votes, so be it. But I'm not going to allow myself to be associated with a map that slices and dices communities apart, that dilutes community voice. Um, and so so I, I think you are onto something. I think there's a reason why the Rules Committee pulled back because they were saying we are going, Casper's whole strategy was, well, if you all don't want to sign on to this, then we're going to pass it with 35 votes. We're going to pass it with 36 votes, which those votes would have included the votes of indicted aldermen. And then we show up the day of the meeting, Wednesday. Lori's taking a plane to Washington, D.C. She didn't want anything to do with this. She said, I'm going thousands of miles away. Uh, they gavel in the meeting, and then there's no map, and they won't show us a map. And then... They release the map, and it's this piece of paper. Online, it's a black and white scan of a piece of paper, and then what they give Alderman is this pixelated, itty-bitty little map, and they go, here's the ward map, and then they gavel out the meeting. They're like, meeting over, no questions, uh, no comments. Um, so I, I think that they were really hoping to twist people's arms behind closed doors uh, and to force through this corrupt map uh, the way that they've always done it, right? Behind closed doors, uh, with backroom deals. Um, and, you know, if Mike Madigan were still Speaker of the House and we have the shadow of Mike Madigan standing behind his longtime lobbyist and attorney, Mike Casper, that absolutely may have worked. I mean, it's worked that way, you know, for decades. People tell me that 10 years ago, Mike Madigan walked into the city of Chicago map room and said, here are the boundaries for my ward, the 13th ward, uh, for Zalewski's ward and Burke's ward. Everyone else has to map around us. And if anyone touches these boundaries of these three wards, I will be filing a piece of legislation in Springfield tomorrow to reduce the number of aldermen from 50 to 25. So that was a type of <laughs> top-down process. Uh, of course, I wasn't there. So this yeah. is hearsay, but, but I've heard this story from many different people, many of them very reputable sources. So that was a type of top-down process, right? <laughs> the Casper and the Rules Committee have been uh, accustomed to. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, they, they really thought that maybe they'd be able to muscle through this way of map making one last time. And I think they weren't expecting that, you know, in the Latino caucus and the progressive caucus, you had a lot of new leftists who were not going to go along with business as usual in the Chicago City Council. We released our map. We released our map so that the public could lampoon it so they could criticize it so they could provide input and uh, when i say we i mean the chicago coalition map we released it months ago uh and since then we've made changes and the only thing we kept asking in the rules committee map was release your map and then let's have a negotiation let's have a real conversation uh where the public is informed and kept abreast every single step of the way of what the next map for the city of chicago will look like all right wow um <laughs> That gave me so much material to go uh, forward. But uh, again, uh, you know me, I just love the, the like the the nitty gritty stuff. So I don't understand the strategy. You, 35 votes uh, at that meeting last week. You're right. Where Mayor Life, it was in Washington. Classic. Uh, <laughs> and then she made her later made fun of people for criticizing her. Remember that one? She goes, uh, she sounded like me doing my imitation of a millennial. So uh, she goes, should I be in the city council uh, governing over a ward map process or should I be in Washington meeting with officials in the Biden administration uh, for to get more infrastructure money for Chicago? Hello. And it was like, wait a minute. That sounds like me imitating a millennial. Uh, I apologize. To all Do I remember her or her people saying she was trying to get a trillion dollars? Yeah, something or, like that. Or slice of a trillion dollars. They said something to that effect, right? As if she um, couldn't. They don't have telephones. You could stay in Washington. <laughs> they got this thing called Zoom. I'm going to explain it to the mayor's people. 
You don't have to be in a room with uh, Judge. And by the way, Judge isn't the one really ultimately making the decisions. You know, he's just his answers to Biden, presumably. All right. So, w- Carlos, it makes no sense. If you need 41 aldermen to avoid a referendum, what's the point of getting 35 aldermen to approve the ward map? Go ahead. Because, because they were playing a game of brinksmanship, right? They were saying, we have the rules committee. We, we control the map room, right? We have Mike Casper, right? Madigan's longtime lobbyist and, and attorney. Uh, and there's more of us. And so are you going to be in the minority or are you going to be with, you know, 31? Um, and so really it was, it was a game of like, okay, we think we have 35 Let's try and see in this coalition of people that are saying, no, we don't want to engage in this, you know, uh, behind the door, back back room, map making process. Can we twist their arms? Can we scare them? Can we make them blink? Right. To then just say, fine, you know, I'll succumb to all of this pressure. And again, you know, maybe it would have made sense. Again, if Madigan was still speaker, if Burke was still at the top of the roost, right? If Rahm was mayor, right? And he could come in at the last minute and twist some arms, right? But those traditional corrupt power structures have eroded away. And in its place, we have one of the weakest mayors in decades. Uh, In its place, we have a lot of people that are very used to folks telling them what to do, suddenly finding themselves in the driver's seat, right? And we have a lot of people that are very used to being able to go into rooms, as representatives of Mike Madigan and telling people what to do. And now they don't know how to, they're like an old dog that can't learn new tricks, right? It's just like, no, the, the, the game has changed. There are new variables. There's a new analysis that you have to conduct. They didn't do any of that. They just said, we're going to run this the same way we've run it in 2000 and 2010. And then at the last minute, the holdouts, we're going to twist their arms. Um, and, and it didn't work out that way. And, um, you know, I've been consistent for the last several months to say, look, the path to 41 is not by forcing people to sign off on a map. It's not by trying to twist their arms to sign off on a map that disenfranchises communities that doesn't follow the Voting Rights Act. The path to 41 is to sit down in earnest and negotiate, right? To have an actual real legislative process where you sit down. Um, but but there has not been thus far a real in- interest in having negotiation. Um, and so then you, you end up with the mess that we're in now. I think finally, since the Chicago coalition map didn't blink, right, um, that now I think there's some uh, that are saying, okay, now we have to have a real negotiation. Now we actually really have to sit down and figure out some of these sticking points uh, to make sure that we get to a map that follows the Voting Rights Act, follows the U.S. Census data, capes communities together, and uh, has 41 votes. I, I say we go to the referendum, but whatever. That's just me. All right. Uh, I mean, let's bring it. You got two maps, two completely different views of how Chicago should be run. You got, I say, bring it to the voters and let them see those names. I love the fact that the automatic names are on there. Uh, we'll see. Maybe Casper and Madigan will uh, prevail and uh, their map will win. All right. Um, uh, when you said 35 votes, uh, that's one more uh, that would override a mayoral veto. Correct. Am I correct in that? Yes. Okay. So my guess is just listen to what you said. I'm going to throw this at you. They were coming up with a cover for mayor Lori Lightfoot. Follow, follow me on what I'm about to say. So mayor Lori Lightfoot has uh, publicly not taken a position on either map. As far as I know, maybe I've missed something, but she hasn't taken a position. It's like, Oh, those crazy aldermen. What are they going to do next? Uh, as though she has nothing to do with it. Uh, if you were to pass with 35 votes, uh, the uh, rules committee map, we'll call it the rules committee map, uh, then Mayor Lori Lightfoot could just go, nothing I could do about it. I, I don't like the map. It's got a lot of problems, but I there's 35 aldermen who've signed on. That's one more than, a, uh, you know, than a veto override. Oh, well, you know what I'm saying? To me, that was the significant significance of the 35. It enabled Lori Lightfoot with more or less a straight face to say she had nothing to do with this process. Your thoughts? You know, that may very well be the political calculus. Um, I, I think that, you know, any other mayor probably would have stepped in at this point and said, let's get to a compromise. You know, I don't want this to continue to be a festering issue that will impact uh, my reelection. Um I don't think that they had 35 votes. 
Um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, I think it was a lot of blustering. Remember, the alderman that they had signed on, so this is what they do. They bring you into the map room and they say, okay, are you cool with this? Sign this piece of paper that locks your ward in, that you're locked in. Um, but they don't show you the rest of the map. And so it's like this process where you map for one individual and one ward where you map for the incumbent instead of mapping for the entire city of Chicago, right? That's what's at the core of this problem that we're facing. That's not just for one ward or one individual incumbent, but that works for the entire city of Chicago. So they, they told a lot of aldermen, like, you're locked in, your ward's good, we're going to get to 41. Um, but they weren't fully transparent. And so I think a lot of aldermen got to Wednesday, December 1st, and said, wait a second, you want me to vote on a map that doesn't have 41? You want me to vote on a map that protects, you know, certain incumbents uh, and that gerrymanders wards and divides communities and doesn't follow the U.S. Census data, right? So I think there's actually quite a number of aldermen in the middle who, are, who do not want to be publicly associated with the Rules Committee map right now. Uh, you know, the, the Rules Committee had a hearing today, and not a hearing, uh, they're going to have a hearing a little bit this this afternoon. But the Rules Committee had a press conference this morning, and there were only 14 aldermen there. Right? There weren't 35 aldermen. There were only 14 aldermen there. And I think that's an indication that there's a lot of aldermen that do not want to be associated, um, you know, with with the Rules Committee map at, at this juncture. Um, but they're also too afraid to step out, right? Perhaps. To, to be associated with, with the Chicago Coalition map or the FAIR map. So I'm hopeful that some of these aldermen that are kind of in the middle, kind of behind the scenes right now, that they can help play a role in, in brokering a compromise. Um, but again, it has to be a compromise that's, that's rooted in the principles that progressives and that all Chicagoans should be proud to be associated with and support. You know, following the data, uh, following the Voting Rights Act, you know, having wards that are contiguous and compact. All right. Uh, by the way, <clears throat> Uh, this is what what what's been happening is 101 of how you do a map in Chicago City Council. My first one, uh, the Michael Casper role. My first map that I follow was played by a gentleman that's long forgotten the time. Only old timers know who he is. His uh, Alderman Thomas Keene was his name. He was former Alderman of the 31st Ward. He eventually went to jail on corruption charges. He was one of the. He was the most powerful. He was the Ed Burke of his time, youngsters. Uh, back in the 60s oh, wow. under Mayor Richard J. Daley, he went to jail. Uh, in the 70s, I want to say, got out of jail, and Mayor Jane Byrne thought it would be a good idea to bring him in to sort of orchestrate the uh, drawing of the 1981 uh, ward map. And I just, I was just a kid. I remember trying to interview him, and <laughs> it was very funny. But anyway, I just listening to you, I'm just thinking of that's how they did it, how Keene did it. And Richard yeah. Mell learned from Keene. You, you bring each alderman individually into a room, and you just show them his or her boundaries. And, yep. and it's like, kid. You know, sign here on the dotted line. Let's go. Come on. And so here's my question. I, Michael Casper, yes, worked for Michael Joseph Madigan. He was the lawyer for the Illinois Democratic Party for years. And as such, he was the guy that uh, Madigan would bring in to knock off nettlesome challengers like a Carlos Ramirez Rosa. I'm surprised they didn't employ him to try to get you knocked off the ballot when you ran for the first time in 2015. Maybe they did, and I was unaware of it in 2015. But that's the role he's played. All right. Now, it would seem to me that the difference between what you just laid out, Michael Casper, and what Mike, a pro like Michael Joseph Madigan would be would be this. If it were Michael Joseph Madigan and he had you, Carlos, alone in the room, he'd say, son, what is it that you need? What do you want in your map? Do you, let's move this guy. You really, this guy's an annoyance, isn't it? This, this one ran against you. We could just move that person into uh, Brian Hopkins' ward. We could just move that person uh, over into uh, Rosanna's ward. We'll get rid of them. We'll just sho shovel them out of your ward. And that that's how he would give ask you what you want. Are you telling me that Casper didn't even do the basics of 101, <laughs> asking you what you want? He just said, kid, sign in the dotted line. This is it? Is that how he negotiated? So, um, so they would put up a boundary, right? They wouldn't. Um, he and, and the map maker that he hired, another uh, former Madigan uh, uh, staffer, um, they would put up an area on the screen and they would say, you can't see the other wards around you, right? They would say, um, 
but you have to map your ward into this area. So in other words, it was like color in the lines, right? So they would say, here's the outline of the ward that we've determined for you. Now tell us, where do you want to go? Well, the thing is, you've already told me where I need to go, right? I'm not going to, I'm not an idiot, right? <laughs> like, I'm not going to play this game of, oh, yes, I colored in the lines that you laid out for me. And I would say, well, what about this way? What about, oh, no, you can't go that way. No, you can't go this way. And I would say, but, you know, the map that I drew with my neighbors, right, that brings together areas of Avondale and West Logan Square, right, that brings together communities of interest, I'm not able to draw that up here. And they would say, well, everybody else is locked in already. So you must absolutely, you know, color in this space. And so, and so I think that, you know, um, it was, it was just, it was ridiculous. And then they would tell me, well, you must complete the exercise. And the exercise calls for you to color in the spaces that we've laid out for you. And I'd be like, I don't want, like, so in other words, I think they thought that I would be under the vision that I had drawn my own map or that, you know, somehow, because, you know, I got, you know, this little block other than this little block that I'd be totally okay with passing a map. And in the end, you know, the map that they produce, which is the map that really is what they wanted me to go through the exercise of drawing for myself is a map that goes from Western to Cicero, mm. right? That it takes communities in, in Belmont, Cragen, uh, and sticks them with communities in East uh, Logan Square. Um, you know, if, if you look at my personal uh, you know, electoral uh, history, you will see that the 35th ward that they drew is a map where I'm well positioned to do very, very well. But it's not about, you know, drawing a map for one individual. It's about should the community of Belmont Cragen, one of the poorest working class uh, Latino communities in the city of Chicago, be linked with East Logan Square, which is now one of the most affluent communities in the city of Chicago, Right. The likeliest outcome is that if that is the 35th ward and I do not run for re-election because of everything that we know about the way that electoral politics works, you need money, right? You need access and connections. The likeliest outcome is that the working class people of Belmont Cragen will be represented by an affluent individual in East Logan Square. And maybe that individual will do well by the people of Belmont Cragen. But we know that historically it has meant that working class communities and black and brown communities are disenfranchised and they don't have a real seat at the table. And look, this is the history of the city of Chicago is dividing and conquering, right? Look at the TIF system. It's divided our city, right? Where everyone has their own little fiefdom and you say, well, I'm taken care of, I have what I need, right? So screw everybody else, right? Through our district, we have what we need for our schools. We have what our need, right? And of course, that only works if you're in an affluent TIF district, right? If you're in an area where there's that increment and it's bringing money into that TIF. But, but again, I think it's like the exercise should not be, right? Because that's what Mike Casper told me. You must complete the exercise, right? <laughs> Color in the lines that we've sketched out for you. That shouldn't be the exercise. The exercise shouldn't be, are we drawing a ward map that makes one alderman or one incumbent comfortable or that benefits one rich area at the expense of another? The exercise should be, are we drawing a map for the entire city of Chicago? That it things that all of us want to see advance. Uh, and I, I don't think the Rules Committee map, uh, you know, has completed that exercise. Uh, yes. Wow. Uh, Casper must think you're a real idiot. Um, all right. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> just color in here. It's a crayon. Do you like red or blue? Um, so, all right. Uh, in 2011, again, four years before you were elected, uh, when we went through this process, uh, mayor Rahm was the mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, the ward map was approved right after his budget. And this goes to show you the difference between mayors. And mayor Rahm was so feared and so seen as an all-powerful extension of Richie uh, Daly and Barack Obama. Think about that. The coalition of Barack Obama and Richie Daly brought you Rahm Emanuel. Pause, Chicago. Just think about that for a moment. Uh, that the aldermen were so afraid of what the mayor would do to them that they voted 50 to nothing for one of the most disgraceful Chicago city budgets in the history of disgraceful Chicago city budgets, the one where they closed the mental health clinics. And for some reason, yeah. no mayor will ever open those. They just don't want to, they want to pretend as though people aren't losing their minds in the city of Chicago. All right. So 
That's how afraid they were. Even Scotty Wagsback voted yeah. for that budget. And he says it's the most embarrassing vote he's ever had to make in the city council. He's apologized for it effectively. I think he's the only alderman who has apologized. Um, 50 to nothing, Carlos. That's how much power Mayor Rahm had. That's how much fear Alderman lived uh, in of Mayor Rahm. What's it like now with Lori Lightfoot? We've already talked a little bit about her. She flew out of town. So she, she was conveniently absent in Washington uh, when that cockamamie meeting happened last week uh, where they couldn't even muster up the 35 votes that they needed. Uh, so what role has she been playing, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, in this process? You know, there was one meeting um, Saturday. So the Rules Committee meeting, uh, well, the, the City Council meeting, the deadline was December 1st, Wednesday. So the Saturday before that Wednesday, um, during the Thanksgiving holiday break, uh, we met in a hotel, the South Loop Hotel. Never heard of it before. But it was my first time there. We met in a conference room in the South Loop Hotel. And it's, uh, you know, various different leaders in the city council. And it seemed like we had a path to a compromise. Um, you know, it, this has been reported on already in the press. So I, I don't feel, you know, as bad kind of sharing some of these details with you. Um, but it, it seemed like we had a roadmap to a compromise. And then the very next day, uh, you know, members of the Chicago coalition map spent all of Sunday in the map room. Uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Casper, and he went right back to his default position, which was complete the exercise. You must draw within these boundaries. Everyone is already locked in, you know, uh, sign off on this map that disenfranchises communities and slices and dices them uh, and is likely unlawful and a flagrant violation of the Voting Rights Act. Um, so he was getting very frustrated because we were refusing to complete the exercise that he had laid before us. Uh, and then that Monday, you know, everything, uh, you know, uh, you know, hit the fan. And uh, it was pretty clear that the rules committee had gone back to its default position, which is we're going to ram this thing through. Right. We think that we're at 34, 35. You know, and then they were lying to people. We have 39 votes. We have 40 <laughs> votes. You'll be 41. Oh, they did this crazy thing where one of my colleagues uh, showed up to the map room. And instead of putting him in the map room, they put him in a closet and like Mike Casper runs into the closet and starts pressuring him to tell him, like, sign off on this now. All of your other colleagues around you have signed off on this. And of course, none of this was true. Um, but it was just like, you know, some like, I don't know what the hell. I don't know where they teach that tactic at, you know, lock them in the closet and tell them <laughs> that they have to sign off on the map. Um, but um, but again, I, I think that, um, you know, it's it's. I, I think it's very indicative of, you know, one, Rahm, for all his faults, for all of his evil neoliberal, you know, policies uh, and, and things that he did that harmed the people of Chicago, he was a very seasoned politician, right? He was a leader in the U.S. House, right? He worked in two Democratic White Houses. So he kind of knew how to wheel and deal and how to, you know, use the tools at his disposal, uh, the carrots and the sticks that he had uh, to get where he was trying to go. Um, you know, Mayor Lightfoot, I think she comes from a law firm, right? And I think in the law firm, it's a very top down, you know, you will do what I say. And then she comes from a prosecutor background, which the prosecutors used to walk into the room and saying, here's your plea bargain, right? Take it or leave it. Or guess what? We're going to throw the book at you and you're going to get 10 times as much, you know, time that we're offering you right now. Um, so I don't think that she's ever had to deal with one as many. There's never been a Chicago mayor that in recent history has had to deal with as many progressives as there are now in city council. Right. That are operating based off of a core set of values. Right. And I think, two, she's just not accustomed to how to use those carrots and those sticks because the mayor's office is still an extremely powerful institution. There are still so many carrots and sticks that the mayor can use, but I think that she's just ill-equipped. And then I think she takes things way too personally, um, you know, and so even people that would be her allies, she has pushed them away. Um, actually, uh, Gregory Pratt, a uh, Chicago Tribune reporter, he was joking on Twitter the other day. He was saying uh, that the Rules Committee map maps Lori Lightfoot out of the 35th Ward, which is true. In, in the map that I support, the Chicago Coalition map, 
West Logan Square and, uh, you know, Avondale stick together in one ward. There's actually a West Logan Square Avondale Black Club. So this community of interest has existed uh, for decades. It's a way that people view the community and the neighborhood around them. So the map that I support creates a 35th ward based around, you know, West Logan Square uh, and Avondale and a little bit of Hermosa. Um, but the map that the Rules Committee drew, that Mike Casper drew, has the 31st Ward dipping into Logan Square uh, and then kind of scoops the mayor out of the 35th Ward. So some people on Twitter were saying, oh, you know, maybe this was the mayor's doing. She wanted to get out of the 35th Ward. Um, and Greg Pratt joked, he goes, you know, there was a time where, you know, Carlos was probably in the top five of Mayor Lightfoot's least like people. Now I'm not even sure he'd make top 10. And the reason why is that that list has grown. It's gotten very, very, very long. Uh, and, and I think the mayor, you know, adds a new alderman uh, to that list every single day. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, the, the mayor has the tools in the mayor's office to be able to move people together in order to move forward an agenda. Um, but I, I think that, you know, her and her administration um, just, you know, I, I think it was um, our friend, uh, the former inspector general, who said the competencies are just not there. And, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, that would be Joe Ferguson, I presume you're talking about. All right. Uh, former inspector general, uh, you keep uh, alluding to the rules committee map and the Chicago coalition map. And uh, generally the way the Sun-Times and the Tribune identify them, it's the uh, Black caucus map and the Latino caucus map. So let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about how the general uh, impression left by reading the Tribune of the Sun-Times is that it's a split between uh, blacks and Latinos. And I've noticed that you've just very carefully throughout have avoided using that rhetoric and have talked about it in terms of Rules Committee versus Chicago Coalition map. Address this issue. Well, I'll say that... Um the Chicago coalition map one is not just members of the Latino caucus. Um, there are, are a handful of people that are not in the Latino caucus that have signed on publicly to the Chicago coalition map. Uh, we have uh, Anthony Beal, uh, who's a South side uh, African-American alderman. Uh, and then we also have uh, a number of white aldermen that have signed on uh, to this initiative. Uh, similarly, uh, the Rules Committee map is not just a map of the Black Caucus, right? The bulk of the support is coming from the Black Caucus, but there are also a number of white aldermen. And there's one Latino alderman, Roberto Maldonado, who has signed on to that effort. Um, you know, I know that the way that uh, the media likes to report this is like this tribal or ethnic, you know, horse race. Um, I, I think that that obfuscates and hides the way in which the traditional white power structure has benefited from uh, what is in effect the Rules Committee map. Uh, and I think that it, if you really look and hone in on the data and the way in which communities are sliced and diced, I don't think the Rules Committee map is a map that does right by uh, black Chicago. And I've spoken with a lot of black leaders who have said this map, this Rules Committee map is not good for black Chicago. For example, Alcal Gardens. Alcal Gardens is perhaps one of the most segregated and polluted public housing developments in the nation, certainly the most in Chicago. It's 4,000 working poor, mostly black people living uh, in one of the most polluted areas on the far south side of the city of Chicago. The Rules Committee map places Alcal Gardens in the 10th Ward. Now, if you know anything about the 10th Ward, you know that the population of the 10th Ward hugs the lake, right? The natural thing to do, because the 10th Ward needs to pick up population, is for the 10th Ward to move north along the lake, right, to pick up population that it needs in order to meet the requirement for one man, one vote, and to have contiguous and compact districts. Instead, Alka Gardens is placed in the 10th Ward, and they're separated from the population of the 10th Ward by polluted land, by forest preserve, by abandoned industrial land, to get from Alkel Gardens to the 10th Ward office, it's an hour and a half on public transportation. You have to transfer from a bus to a train to another bus. Tell me, how is that doing right by the people of Alkel Gardens who are already so segregated, who are already so cut off from the rest of the city? Now you're telling them, guess what, people? You might not have a car. 
But if you want to get to your alderman's office to file a complaint or to access city government, you have to ride a bus, a train and another bus. You have to be on public transportation an hour and a half. Not only that, the ward superintendent, right? Every ward has a ward superintendent. The ward superintendent is tasked with providing vital city services. That ward superintendent then has to drive across the expressway, drive across all this abandoned territory to get to Alcal Gardens to provide services to that area. So it's really a disservice. That's just one example. In the Rules Committee map, Englewood is completely divided and torn apart. In the Chicago Coalition map, that community is brought together. So I, I think that there are quite a number of aldermen who have not spoken up, who um, you know will are not happy with the way in which the rules committee map. So again, I don't think that it's just an issue of, uh, you know, black alderman versus Latino alderman. I think it's much more complex than that. It's very difficult to report that in a 500, 1,000, 1,500, even a 2,000 word article. It's very difficult to get into that nuance. And oftentimes it's not the story that, you know, people feel in their gut or that goes along with, you know, kind of the way they already view the world. But this is much more complicated than just, you know, black versus Latino. I think as it stands right now, you know, the rules committee map disenfranchises uh, uh, in many black community uh, and not just the Latino community as well. All right. Uh, the Alt Elk Garden, when you, generally when you move uh, one part of a ward to another ward, uh, more often than not, it's to punish the alderman, uh, to, to punish some alderman or to do a favor to another alderman. In your humble opinion, why would the map makers move Alcoat Garden from the ninth ward, Anthony Beale's ward, to the 10th ward, uh, Sue Sedlowski Garza's ward? I think you just answered your own question. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I do think that there's probably some petty politics at play there. Uh, I do know know that my colleagues has said this, but, you know, when she's gone into the map room, she was told you can't go north. Right. She my colleague tried to talk to her, you know, neighbors, tried to talk to her colleagues and say, hey, the natural thing makes sense is for the 10th ward to move up north to pick up population. She was told, nope, you can't move north. The only option that you have is to move west. Um, complete the exercise, right? <laughs> they <laughs> draw the Sioux as well to the lines. Oh my goodness! Yes. So, so again, I I think that at the beginning of this process, winners and and losers were chosen by Mike Casper and and a handful of aldermen. And um, you know, I don't deny that that some of my colleagues had a very pleasant exercise when they went into the map room, <laughs> um, but that certainly was not true of the aldermen that have now signed on to the Chicago coalition map. And I think, you know, the other issue here again is, is that really the way that we want to conduct mapping in the city of Chicago, right? Is that each alderman goes in one by one or they go in in small groups and they decide how to divvy up the ward. It's like, no, we need to have a map that serves the entire city of Chicago. We need to have open and transparent conversations. And that's what the Chicago coalition map set, set out to do, right? That's why we, we didn't come out and say, you know, there must be X number of white wards, X number of Latino wards, X number of Asian wards. We said, we're going to wait until we see the U.S. Census data. Once we got that U.S. Census data, we looked at census blocks, right? We went block by block to see, okay, where are there communities of interest that are together, right? Where are there communities that make up protected classes that are together? And how can you then draw a map that follows the U.S. Census data and follows the Voting Rights Act? That's how we got uh, to the map where we landed at. And unfortunately, um, you know, that wasn't the process that was followed by by the Rules Committee and by Mike Casper. I have a quick question. You keep, you've, give you, these, you, you've referred to the map. These people are deemed important and powerful. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you've, you've referred thing? several times to the map room. And I just got to, where literally is the map room? So it's in the second floor. Uh, it, it used to be, last term, it used to be the, the legislative uh, bureau library. So there's a legislative uh, reference bureau for the city of Chicago. So they used to have a, a little library in a conference room uh, that was really Marge Lorino's space that she would use because uh, she oversaw the legislative. Uh, this city council, it became the map room. And so they put up a flat screen TV. You know, they paid for the proprietary map making software, right, that allows uh, the map maker to go census block by census block and, uh, you know, draw the boundaries. It tells you uh, instantaneously, you know, what the makeup of that ward is. Um, and so that that's the map room. 
Um, and, and Casper's rules were that we had to go in there one by one. Mm. Uh, so again, it's just like, you know, it, it, it was not a good process. And again, some of my colleagues will say, well, it was a good process. I'm listening to what you have to say for you. It was a good process. All right. So but for many other, occupants, uh, all right. Uh, my guess is we're going to have a referendum. Uh, my guess it'll be, uh, what you call the rules <laughs> committee map versus the Chicago coalition. I cannot see it. So, uh, right now, if there was a referendum, uh, name some of the aldermen who would be uh, sub- sponsors or supporters of uh, the Chicago Coalition map. So, like, if I were got, wanted to vote for the well, Carlos we, we map. know one, Carrie, Carrie Austin, was uh, standing with the Rules Committee today. Uh, so she will not be sponsoring the Chicago Coalition map. Uh, but the Chicago Coalition map, Sue Sidlowski-Garza, Rosana Rodriguez, Daniel Espada, uh, Savannah Tabaris, Gilbert Villegas, Raymond Lopez, Brian Hopkins, Anthony Beal, um, Mike Rodriguez, Andre Vasquez, uh, myself, um, Ariel Raboyras, Felix Cardona. Um, so in, in total, it's 15 aldermen who have signed on to the Chicago Coalition map. Um, and, and, I, and I do think that we would perhaps be able to get additional aldermen to sign on, um, you know, push come to shove. But again, I think because there are so many aldermen that are in the middle, right, that have not come out publicly to endorse one map or the other, I, I'm still hopeful. I think that there's, that there's a lot of space for a compromise. Um, again, it has to be a compromise rooted in certain basic principles, but uh, I, I think that, it, that it's still feasible and still possible uh, that, you know, we can get to a compromise. Well, you and Raylo on, on, on one map is uh, kind of blowing my mind right there. We were uh, uh, having going. I try to schedule debate uh, at the hideout between uh, you and Raymond Lopez. I'm going to continue to try to stay. I think that would be a great night of political discourse, but at least you guys would be eye to eye on the map. It'll be too friendly now. Uh, well is Jeanette Taylor with on your map or is she with the uh, rules committee map you know I I didn't see her at the press conference today Um, you know she she has not signed on to the Chicago coalition map again I I think that you know there's a lot of aldermen that want to see a compromise and uh, again it's it's very complicated the politics are extremely complicated and there's also that specter of you know racial politics as well that's involved in this all right. Uh, so she was not. Did, did I hear that correctly at the press conference? Say the rules. She was not Got it. Uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're pretty much out of time here, Carlos. And I really wanted to ask you about Democratic Socialists. Uh, and uh, you are, you know, as I always like to joke, the dean of the Democratic Socialists in the Chicago City Council. Uh, so, but I do want to ask you about this. Uh, so many of my guests, as you know, are from the left side of the spectrum. That's where I reside. And we've been talking about, uh, the election in Buffalo for mayor, uh, Walton, the democratic socialist defeated as a writing candidate. And that has been used to re- just to, uh, just castigate democratic socialists everywhere. Uh, moderate centrist Democrats say, oh, what a bunch of losers. Shut up. Vote for whoever we tell you to vote for. Do what we tell you to do and don't embarrass us. Uh, what's your response, your reaction uh, to what went down in Buffalo and what it says about democratic socialist movement throughout the country? I mean, one, they, they must be coming from the Rules Committee map making. There must be some <laughs> rule book somewhere about how to approach politics. Just shut up. Do as we say. Um, but um, no, I, I think, um, you know, history repeats itself. A hundred years ago, there were a number of democratic socialists elected to the Chicago city council. One of them was actually the first Latino elected to the Chicago city council, a man named William Rodriguez, who represented then the 15th ward, which was located around Humboldt park. And uh, he, I believe served two terms and then was defeated by a hybrid Democrat Republican candidate. So the Democratic Party, the Republican Party said, we got to get these socialists out of here. Uh, And they ran a hybrid candidate who uh, defeated poor Mr. William Rodriguez, who went on to become one of the founders of the Chicago chapter of the ACLU and a very successful civil rights attorney. Uh, He's actually now remembered uh, at John Marshall Law School. But, um, you know, I will say that um, in Chicago, but um, I think that that's something that we saw happen in Buffalo, right, where you had moderate Democrats break away and vote with right wing Republicans. It was a hybrid, right? The bulk of, uh, you know, the incumbents votes uh, against 
um, against the Democratic Socialist challenger, you know, came from Republicans and moderate Democrats. And so the question then is, you know, how do we elect real progressive Democrats uh, and, and not just elect, you know, people that Republicans are comfortable with? Um, and I think that that's a challenge. Uh, I think that, you know, the left has to be committed if we're going to continue to engage in electoralism, which absolutely I think we need to. Um, the challenge is then how do we bridge that gap? Uh, how do we reach voters? And I, and I think that, you know, um, in Buffalo, New York, there was a big discrepancy between, you know, kind of some of the more splashy things that excited leftists and that messaging Right. And then the actual bread and butter issues. I think India Walton had a winning message on the bread and butter issues. But I think a lot of that got washed away uh, by some of the, the more, for lack of a better term, kind of woke sensationalist, uh, you know, uh, positions uh, that, that she was being pushed to, to kind of espouse uh, on the campaign trail, particularly on social media. Mm, wow. Wow. Uh, Carlos, I had a smile when you uh, went to woke because that is just a, a club uh, that centrists use against uh, lefties. Uh, so- oh no, the centrists are so woke. I mean, come on. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, that that full woke to Bernie. You know, it was like he's a, a sexist. You know, to be a man running against a woman is the greatest violation of leftist politics in the history of you know the United States. Um, no, so I, I think that, you know, the, the centrists are very good at using kind of woke um, neoliberal identity politics. I know that's a huge term that I just said. I'm sure we'll have to dig into that. But they're very smart at kind of using it exclusively uh, to bludgeon the left. Um, but but I think, it, again, it's, it's bread and butter issues, right? How is it that we as leftists can advance the interests of all working class people, right? How can we make sure that we bring communities together, whether they're white, black, Latino, Asian, American, Indian, uh, you know, and ensure that we all have access to the American dream. We know those are, that's winning messaging. That's winning policies uh, for left. And if you look at Bernie's first race, when he focused on those bread and butter issues, he did much better. And it was the centrists who came along and kind of bludgeoned him and said, you're not woke enough. Right. And he adopted a lot of that more like woke messaging. And, and we see the end result of that. So, again, I, I think that, again, it, it's not to say that we shouldn't stand for justice for all people. No, it's just about, you know, putting forward a message that makes it clear that you're standing for justice for all people. And I think that's an important nuance that we have to be able to make. All right. Very good. And we've completely run out of time. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, thank you so much uh, for coming on and talking to us. cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader